Hello and welcome to the Own Your Role podcast. I'm your host, Dean Watt, and I'm your guide to exceptional leadership and dynamic culture in your business. Join me each week as we explore practical tips through fun and fascinating interviews with successful business owners who've mastered the art of leadership. Over the last 20 years as a keynote speaker, author, and high-performing team transformation specialist, I've been fascinated by what it takes to create a great culture and dedicated team members in a business. When leaders truly own their roles and empower their team members to do the same, a great culture is always the result. So whether you're on your couch or in your car, on a treadmill or hiking up a hill, get ready to be inspired and entertained as you learn exactly how to own your role. Well, hey, everybody. Once again, thank you for turning into the Own Your Role podcast. I'm excited about our show today. We literally have a celebrity on our hands today, uh, somebody who's done stuff that I can't even imagine and has gone toe-to-toe with The Rock. So if that's not a good teaser for you, I don't know what would be. We're going to be talking with Chris Rudin, and Chris is a remarkable human being, and you're going to get to hear his story and hear why we wanted to have him on this episode to talk about his uniqueness as an entrepreneur. Before we do, remember, I always appreciate you subscribing and sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. Anybody you feel like could love uh, to understand more about the best practices in their business and how they can overcome any challenges or, or issues that are going on in their business and how just to be a better all around entrepreneur. I'm so grateful for all of our guests that come on our show because I feel like each one of them adds to the collective genius of your business and also definitely edifying me as well. So thank you all for being here and subscribing. If you haven't subscribed, that is my plea to make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you do get the uh, the notifications to follow that we have a new episode that's releasing. That being said, let's get on with our guest today because seriously, if you were to see his bio or to see him on television, which you might have, you would see what a remarkable person is. Chris has got a great message to share. He's a keynote speaker. He's an author. He's just inspirational in so many ways, and I can't wait to dive into his story. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I I definitely uh, am excited about this because when we talk about limitations, when we talk about mindset, when we talk about whether it be physical or mental, which I think the majority of things are mental you can really help people understand how to overcome both. So before we get into all of that, we always start with people's stories because I believe stories connect every single one of us. So tell us a little bit about your story and how you got to this position and doing what you are in your business. Yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, I was born with a physical disability. You know, I was born with two fingers on my left hand and a shorter left arm. And my entire life, I just, I knew I was different. And when you think about differences with disability, some of the synonyms are like weak or broken or useless or helpless. And being labeled that early on, whether it was by society or even myself, I lived up to that potential under that glass ceiling. So Mm -hmm. yes, I went through bullying. Yes, I went through all that. But the worst bully I ever had was myself because I constantly told myself I was broken. I constantly told myself this disability is who I am. I went down the wrong road. I, you know, hung out with the wrong people, did the wrong stuff. And if it weren't for getting diabetes at 19, an autoimmune disease that requires a minute by minute, you know, attention to this disease, um, I don't know that I would have changed, you know, and that really helped me change. But I hid my disability for 17 years up until four or five years ago. So 
I this isn't a Disney movie where it was just like boom Cinderella came you know I was saved from a castle like uh, I had to save myself but it took me a long damn time to do that well you mentioned that you knew you were different do you remember the first time where you were consciously aware that not just you were unlike the other kids but it might have even stalled you from being included with the other kids yeah so i it's hard to say what moment was first but it was definitely some sort of elementary school between the physical fitness or president's test we used to have you oh, know yeah yeah there was no pull-ups for me you know i had to sit those out and i remember kids being mad that i got to sit out and they didn't wow they, they wanted to get out of the work that i so badly wished i could do whoa what a paradigm shift right there right that's wow i couldn't understand the depth of that and i think this is the first time i'm actually like putting that into words but i don't know how hard it is to understand it's almost like the grass is always greener on the other side sure i sure. couldn't understand the complexity of what was happening there but after that there was a little girl in my neighborhood who I remember I was just walking around the neighborhood. I play basketball the way I can. I have to adapt everything I do because my arm is shorter. And she like saw me and she screamed and she ran. And I was like a little kid. I didn't understand. Her parents brought her by my parents, by my house. They knocked on the door and they were like, hey, you know, we, you know, your son is, you know, born differently. Could you just show your son's hand to my daughter so she won't be afraid? Ooh. My parents did not like that. And you uh, know that they were thinking they were doing something good or like they had no helpful clue. And yeah. It just, yeah. Wow. It, but that that's the misconception misconception that I've battled, you know, the world is mm -hmm. not made. It's I'm a one-handed guy living in a two-handed world. Like the world's not made for everyone and we're all individuals. My individuality is just happens to be my disability what the pressure from society does add in that other barrier of like, Hey guys, just because I'm different doesn't mean it's anything other than like, I have less fingers. You have maybe less or more hair. Like it's a difference, you know, but I didn't accept that for so long. Cause I was like, my difference makes me less than mm -hmm. it wasn't until I started challenging that status quo where it was like my difference. That's where the sentence stops for so long. I added more to that, that sentence. And I feel like most of us do that. We take a scenario that is good as is, and we add more. If you've ever added too much salt to a dish, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, I, I joke, whether I'm on stages or talking with people now, I'm like, diabetes, disability, is it good? Some people raise their hand. They're like the overly, toxically optimist people. And then yeah. there's like, is, is diabetes or disability bad? They're like, yeah, they're the pessimistic people. I'm like, both of you are wrong. Diabetes just is. It is. That's right. It just is. And half of this, most of the stuff that happens to us just is for me, just existing wasn't enough. I had to make it worse. You know, you, you know, what's, what's the first thing you do when you get a flat tire, you set the car on fire, right? <laughs> so most of us do. And that's what I did for a long time. And I didn't, I didn't understand the pain I was causing myself because I refused to accept responsibility and not just responsibility, but response ability like yeah the ability to respond i never saw that as an option because i was like there's no way it's that easy so let's talk about when you did set the car on fire 
when you were through, <laughs> I had a car burning facility. <laughs> well, you well you mentioned uh, the the area that I think everyone can relate to is that worst bully moment you said a, a, a while ago where you were talking about that little that bully in your head you've been bullied all over but the worst bully was your head the mind i talk about often that sometimes i think if i had a friend that talked to me the way that my little voices in my head do i would never hang around myself right yeah because there it just you just beat yourself up so much and here you have this worst bully what did you start doing when you were first starting to burn the car down instead of changing the tire? So I think I did the most dangerous thing possible, which isn't talk bad about myself. It was allowing myself to never recover, to never heal, to never do better, to never want better. I allowed myself to go numb. I allowed Mm. myself to not accept things. Mm. I just allowed myself to hide and the problem with that is take two people who break their leg one person breaks their leg they take time to recover and it takes four to six weeks and you can't you can't really do anything for four to six weeks it sucks but then you recover the other person says screw that i'm gonna make do anyways and they make do but now they have a limp for the rest of their life and that limp causes hip impingement back impingement now you can't move now you're 40 you can barely get around you gain so much weight now you had a heart attack They'll never, they'll never credit that to that moment that they made the wrong decision because the compound effect of those kind of decisions eats away your life. And it did for mine for a long time. So I allowed myself to just be like, oh, you know, I hide my hand, but that's okay. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That phrase has royally screwed so many people and business owners and relationships and so many things. It's okay. Ah, it's fine. It's not. And you know it. Because guess what? You can sweep some dirt under the rug and that's fine. But when that rug is a mountain, you're like, something's under there and everyone sees it, but no one's talking about it. And that was me. So I just continued to hide my hand. I continued to say, you know, I can't do this kind of career because of my hand. I can't do that kind of career because of my hand. I'll never be able to stop hiding my hand because people will think badly of me. So if I just continue to hide it and exist in the shadows, I started making my entire life around hiding and not living. I noticed in your package or your video that you um, there's a picture of you as a, it looks like a late teenager standing by a car and you uh, you know your shirt off you're cut you're built and you have a, a rag or something around your hand was that part of the hiding or was that just so I always the picture it, it's crazy I've always had like leadership qualities in me I've maybe it was because I I loved being away from people and I find so much comfort on a stage. I used to perform in like theater as like a little kid because I love, I hated being in crowds. I felt more comfortable on stage away from people than I did in crowds. Yeah. I I can't go to a concert, but I'll speak to 10,000 people in my job. You know, I hid in plain sight and most of us do. I always wore a glove on my hand. And the reason I came up with the glove, because I was, it was in my pocket. I always kept my hand in my pocket to the point where I almost got arrested in Washington, D.C. as a 14 year old because we were going to the monument and they said, we need the security check. Take your hand out of your pocket. And I said, no, they took me to the back room. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to get arrested by the secret service. You know, I'm 14 and I I would have rather gone to jail for that than show my hand. That's how much I hid my disability. I wore a glove because I wanted to get into drums. 
not only was I like struggling and numb and not accepting that I was different and I, I hated that, I tried to pretend like I wasn't. I tried to overcompensate. So I wanted to do everything that anyone cool ever did. Drumming was really cool, but I have one hand. So I got a fingerless glove and I shoved a drumstick through the finger hole of a glove and I was able to play drums for four years competitively. Wow. And marching band, drum line, I did all that. And then I kept the glove on because then I started doing like dance and break dance and all this like crazy stuff. And then I became known as the dancer with the glove. And then I became the glove guy. Like I was just the guy who had the glove and that's what it was. And it wasn't a question. It was like we had a friend named Blue T because he always wore blue T-shirts and I was the guy with the glove, you know. (laughs) And what was kind of crappy about that was people accepted that because I was so cool and I was so confident seemingly that people were like, oh, that's just his thing. That's cool. No one ever wondered, like, is that because he wants to or because he feels like he has to? And, you know? and, and and for you, what did that feel like being accepted because you were hiding or at least covering up the thing that made you most unique? I didn't even know what I was covering up because I wouldn't look at it. Mm, it didn't wow. exist. Wow. It was a distant part of me, but the only times I came to to uh, understand were the times I couldn't find my glove and I wouldn't go outside. Wow. So you would I, I've stop yourself from before. living life because you couldn't find the thing that was covering up your uniqueness. I've missed school before because I couldn't find my glove. Wow. To the point where my parents knew how bad it was and they were like, okay, we'll, we'll go get you another one. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned uh, a moment ago before I asked that question, uh, what I felt was kind of getting apathetic towards it. I think definitely apathetic, definitely apathetic. Worse than anger, apathy to me is, yeah, I'd rather somebody be angry. (laughs) At least angry will do something with it. Apathy keeps you, and I kind of like to explain it in this purgatory of a life where it's not as good as you want it to be, but it's not bad enough to change. So you just kind of float in the middle of nothingness. And that's what I did for 17 years. I still did cool stuff according to other people, but I was numb. The lights were out. I see videos in my past and like, even as I was building my speaking career, I was starting to break records and powerlifting. I was really challenging myself, but I was being competitive to prove to myself that I was good enough because I didn't think I was. Hmm. And that chip on the shoulder, while I did, I was fortunate enough to use it in good ways. Looking back, I could have definitely been a lot more efficient with it or optimal. Like I I hurt myself too much in the process of doing that. And that's why I try and speak to people now. Like I vow to be the person I never really had growing up because no one called me on my stuff. No one was like, Hey man, just because it's working doesn't mean it's good. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, you know? Well, well, that's what I was thinking just now is I wonder, and, and maybe you've had this experience before, you know, sometimes we well, we always see our life different than the people around us. And we never know how people are really seeing what we're up to because you were able to do so many things, whether it be the drumming or the bodybuilding or keeping up with the other kids in, in ways. Do you think if you were to go to some of your childhood friends and I will say childhood, like junior high, high school, stuff like that, that they would be surprised to hear this part of your story. And that's how you were feeling at the time. I've had many people reach out to me like, dude, I had no clue. Wow. I had no clue you were feeling this way. Some people didn't even know I was disabled. What? Because I hid my arm and my hand so much. They just thought that was my thing. Your thing was just keeping your hand in your pocket. That's it. I love the metaphor too. For you, it's reality. I totally get that. But I absolutely can see where you 
I'm assuming can help people understand the metaphor of their own, what are, or what are they hiding? Uh, what are they covering up their uniqueness about them? Why are they doing that? And then also the perspective idea, all the way going back to that, that pull up lesson of realizing that kids were looking at you jealous because you didn't have to do it. And you were looking at them jealous because they got to do it. That perspective alone, all of that just helps us really understand every single one of us is so much more, it's so cheesy, so much more alike than we are different, right? Because the internal dialogue is very similar for all of us, even though the exterior, you know, for me, it was my parents divorced or my head jacked up teeth or whatever. Like everybody's got their stuff. Yeah. I didn't like Dino in the seventies. I mean, that was probably worse than anything, but uh, (laughs) I feel like everyone has something. And like, I, I still find myself in certain positions where it takes proper storytelling. And that's why I love being a storyteller now for a living, because I had to become a better storyteller to break those cycles Mm. because the story I told in the beginning wasn't serving me. The story I tell myself now is a lot better, you know? And sometimes the best thing you can do is just tell yourself the truth because for so many of us, we lie to ourselves. Um, ah, this business isn't going to go good. You know, I've, I've already had seven businesses that fail. That's why this one probably won't go well. You're storytelling. You're fully storytelling and predicting. And the problem is feelings are not facts. Yeah. Just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean it's true. Unless you feel it so much that you do things to make it true and you prove yourself right, you might be right. But the consequences of being right in that situation suck. Yeah, you know, absolutely. for me, I'm like, oh, I see business people like I'm doing really well for myself now after years of like busting my ass. But I see people who are making millions and millions of dollars. And I'm like, I'm not working hard enough. They they squeeze every drop of opportunity out of every second. And then I see people below me who are like, I'm like, man, you guys got to work harder. You got to get to this point. And I'm like, you guys are working way too much and you guys aren't working enough. And I'm like, <laughs> I just, I just don't, I don't fit in anywhere. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm literally telling myself this story and I'm positioning myself on this island where I had no business being, yeah. no business being. And, but we do it with any aspect of our life. I did it with my disability. You've probably done it with your podcast or your business or yeah. your all the time. Exactly. And yeah. it's, catching those stories in the moment. And I always ask myself one question. I'm like, is this true? Like truth? Is it not? Does it feel true? Not, is it actually true? Is it a fact or is it a feeling? And then I'm like, damn, I'm I'm BSing myself right now. Is it, is it gravity, right? Can't argue with it. It is what I can't argue with it. You can't add spice to it. You can't, you know, is it true? I have a a saying on my wall right now says we suffer more in our imagination than we do our reality by Seneca and that I created such a world. And when I broke that world down, I realized that it was a facade. So I started asking myself better questions. What can I do with where I'm at right now? So what was the catalyst for that? Because you're going through your teenage years, you're getting into young adult life and there's a moment, whatever destructive habits you were creating, there obviously was a moment or multiple moments I often consider, you know, I don't think anything is usually a one day you woke up and went, Hey, but what was that shift for you? There was a few and I'm, you're one of the few people that's said that. And I agree with, um, it's more power of moments, little yeah. moments that build not one Disney moment, you know, yeah. um, there's two that I'll share and they're quick stories. Um, one was a little 11 year old kid named David who his mom came out to me I started going to school for exercise science because I wanted to figure out how to 
how to lift weights as a person with a disability. I loved bodybuilding. I was like, man, this is, that's so cool to build your body. And my entire life, my body was my limitation. So I was like, let's make the hardest goal, the main goal. I wanted to be a bodybuilder. I was wow. like, I need to learn. What do you do if you don't know how to do something? You have to learn. And I want to be the best at it. Uh, according to anyone, I want to be the best. So I went to school for it. His mom came up to me and she's like, Hey, you know, my kid is 11 years old. He has cerebral palsy. I'd love for you to work with him. And I'm like, I, I could try. I'm not a guru. You know, I'm not, I don't sell anything. I fell in love with this kid and he could barely walk or talk, but I would do like cone drills with him. I'd grab around his legs with braces and he would walk and he would fall. And every time he fell, he would laugh and stand back up. And I would like grab around his body and I would help him kick the ball and because he loved soccer and he would miss the goal like 99% of the time. And he celebrated every single kick. I was like, this kid is like, he's got it. And he came home one day. He was like, man, these kids were making fun of me for the way I talk and the way I walk. And I was like, I'll literally, I'll kill these kids, <laughs> you know, but what, how I joke is like, I, before I could finish that death threat, he was like, but it's okay. You know, they don't define me. And he went on to like falling and playing and doing his stuff. And I'm like, this kid taught me more as an 11 year old kid taught me more than any adult will ever learn, which is just the responses and labels and things people say about you. That was my biggest fear did nothing for him. So what was the difference? The difference was what they said didn't affect him and what people didn't say to me and I invented in my head affected me. The commonality between the two was his mind didn't let people in, mine did. Mm. And I was like, so maybe there's something different, you know? Well, even the piece that you just said, I, I had to write it down because I think it's the, the point that you made of, you know, it wasn't a matter of getting the ball in the goal. It was a matter of the joy of kicking a ball. Like how many of us can learn from that just simple idea? It's not about scoring the goal, but the joy that the putting yourself position. And I, I'm going to put this out there for everybody listening, right? Whatever you're doing today, whatever the minimal thing is that you think you're working towards, whether it be baseball, basketball, whatever, the joy of being able to kick the ball, the joy of just kicking the ball, not even being able to kicking the ball, throwing the ball, tossing the ball, whatever it is, or just so many things, this kid found joy in something that everybody from the outside would be going like, Oh, he missed it too bad. And he's laughing and joy, joyful that he kicked the ball. That's pretty crazy. Uh, what people, what people don't get about that. And like, I, I can hear my younger self saying like, Oh, it's cliche. just enjoy the process. I'm like, all right, let's make it real. Then if you are hyper-focused on the finish line, every step towards the finish line is failure which means every step is miserable, which means every step is a higher likelihood that you're going to fail. If making six figures, seven figures, eight figures is the goal, and that is your KPI, that is your key performance indicator. Every single time you're not there, you failed and you failed and you failed. And conditioning psychology tells us if we hear it enough, we believe it. And if we believe it, we live it. Mm -hmm. So the problem with wanting to lose 50 pounds, with wanting to run a marathon, with wanting to have a seven-figure, eight-figure business, the desire for a happy experience is a negative one. Wow. The wanting of something that you don't have is a negative experience, no matter how positive the finish line is, because you don't have it, versus 
I want to go to the gym today. I went to the gym today. Today, I was successful. If I do that tomorrow, I will also be successful. Now, imagine it's going to take you one year, three years, five years to get to the six-figure business, to get to the 60 pounds. Would you rather have 3,650 successes or 3,650 failures? Yeah. Absolutely. The time is the same, but the perception isn't. So when someone might hear this and be like, oh, that's cliche, don't enjoy the process. No, screw that. You have to enjoy the steps because if you don't enjoy or at least appreciate the steps, you're making it harder on yourself. You're adding salt where salt doesn't need to be. Mm, Wow. Yeah, that's so true. Okay. So you were able to see that in him. And then there was somebody else that connected to you that turned you around. Started lifting, ended up starting to get into powerlifting because I was really strong for some reason. And I built this like hook apparatus to lift weights and it allowed me to do 135 pounds. And I was like, man, that's crazy. You know, and my, my old brain was like, ah, oh, there's no way you can go heavier, you know? And my new brain was like, but maybe I can, you know, it, I, I call it, uh, uh, like cynical realism. You know, it's like, I'm not a positivity hippie. I'm not in a burning building chanting positive affirmations. Like I get that, right, right. you know, but <laughs> I have to be a realist. Like maybe I can, let's figure out a way how. Yeah. 135 turned into 225, 315, 405, 495. It started slipping. So I used skin tack spray on my skin and used an additional wrap over it. 495 turned into 585, turned into 675 pounds in front of 20,000 people at the biggest sports festival in the world, breaking a world record. Wow. All of that didn't happen in a day. It happened over three years. Mm-hmm. But if I would have stopped because every day I wasn't at 675, I would have failed. Mm. In that process, I started telling my story more and I started learning the message behind my story. And I found my love of speaking because I did my first event and I started speaking and people really wanted to hear me speak. And I, I loved it. I was like, man, this is what I've always wanted to do. I was speaking at a Disney resort and it was for a diabetes event. There was about 2000 people there to hear me speak. I spent the entire day. I was still hiding my hand, mind you. I spent the entire day with this little girl who was just diagnosed. She followed me around. It was incredible. Like, it was so cool. Um, We're walking down this long hallway, and I always hid my hand, but she was walking on that side of me, and she grabbed my glove over my hand and started swinging my hand, and I was like, what? Like, that was, like, my biggest fear of anyone acknowledging the thing I refused to acknowledge. She looked up at me, and she was like, it's okay. You don't have to hide around me. And I was like... 2000 people were there to hear me speak and she's the only one who actually saw me. Mm. And that was such a huge moment for me to be like, if she sees me, why can't I? Mm. And I was like, for her, for them, for me, I've got to stop. Wow. If she saw me and she thought I was enough, maybe I could be enough, you know? that was a huge moment. And shortly after I stopped hiding my hand and that kind of led to so many other things at at the time, my partner of four years, that was the first time she saw my hand when I took it out and made a video on YouTube. What? Yep. Wow. That video went viral, hit like 7 million views on YouTube. The rock ended up reaching out to me to be on a TV show. So many people aligned with the idea of finally being your true self You know, um, I saw someone was talking about 
you you never really know people. You only know the version of them that they put on for the world. Yep. And I'm like, well, if that's true, do I even know me? So I needed to get to know me. I needed to to decide who I wanted to be, not for anyone else, but for myself. Because mm. I wasn't being who I wanted to be. You know, and like, I fucking hated that, dude. Like at 27, I was like, man, I have a lot of what people want, but I'm not happy. I was chasing money. I was chasing this. I wanted to be successful and be an entrepreneur. I wanted to be Gary V. I wanted to be this <laughs> power lifter, this bodybuilder. And I was like, do I want to be that? Or am I told that I should be that? So I stopped and I was like, man, I want to build this speaking business because I love impacting people. That little girl, that little boy, like these companies that help people and give people like tools like me to succeed. That's what I want to do. So I stopped chasing money and lo and behold, money found me, you know? So interesting because I think we all can relate to the idea of always looking for the other person who's quote doing better than me, or I want to be like, or I'm chasing, whether it be you know, a business owner who has a colleague in the same industry that's trying, they're trying to chase that or seeing that and seeing their assumption of happiness or joy. Oh, I want that. You never know. And it is, it's about what if you were just like focused on you and the game yeah. you play. And Simon Sinek talks about this, right? In the infinite game that there is no winner of, of business. Yeah. There is no winner of game of, of life. Like you play your own game because it's infinite, never ends. When you, when the rock reaches out to you, I can only imagine he saw the embodiment of this. It was for the show, the Titans on NBC. And he saw this person who was not only physically fit, not only had the charisma around him for TV, but also the aspirational, inspirational aspect to show people almost and i don't know if this is how direct it was but what's your freaking excuse yeah that's that's fascinating what i liked about it the most was like it wasn't like hey you're super inspiring or hey this like we want to bring you on the tv show it wasn't a free pass it was like hey man i'd love for you to compete for a spot yeah because two hundred thousand people applied i didn't wow i got invited to a combine that lasted 12 hours and they tested everything mental physical what? camera presence I competed against 200 other people to be on that show. I was excited to be there. I was like, I was like, dude, I'm a power lifter. I lift heavyweight one time and then I take a 10 minute break. I'm not like, <laughs> you know, like, like all you runners. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what do you got? I get winded going to my refrigerator. I'm like, this is, this is different, but I gave it my all. And I was like, regardless, that's a cool experience. Yeah. I earned my spot to be on that show, you know, and like of the 20 guys or 10 guys that were there, Three of them made the cover of all the billboards and buses and all that. And then one of them was me. And I'm the only person who, when I lost my episode, The Rock came down and hugged me after I gave my speech. And like, there was so many moments. I had just posted on my uh, social media the other day, thinking back to it. Even before that show, I was still, I'd already built up my, my social presence, my digital footprint, because I was being authentic and sharing my process it's crazy that it's now my job to help people see what I couldn't see in myself, you know, whether it's an organization or a person, I've done so much cool stuff now. Like my accolades are cool. Like I've been in all these different magazines. I had a two page spread in people magazine. Like I'm this famous celebrity and I'm like, this is crazy. Like it's really cool, you know, but for some reason, the hardest part was literally just being able to go outside and show my hand. 
you know, people see me on the TV show, all this cool stuff, but like just not hiding anymore is everything, you know? And by giving up all these things I wanted to be and try and control, I tried to control everything, how people saw me, how I could make more money to be seen as when I started just giving value to people and really like focusing on impact, like over income itself, the income came the fixation mm-hmm. on the the carrot on the stick keeps you farther from it but the second you stop focusing on like how to make more how to get more enough is never enough for the man who has enough mm-hmm. and still doesn't think he has enough you know i was so obsessed with more and i realized more isn't a place yeah more isn't a location that's there's not a place called more or a day where you hit more you know that, that doesn't happen yeah it's constantly moving the goalpost so i stopped moving the goalpost and i was like man i want to be happy now and in the process of building forward so i'm sure there are people who are listening thinking um there's got to be moments and i'd love to just say if you're willing to share the habit of hiding your uniqueness in your hand was years like and into your 20s how does that creep up for you now and when does it and and when it does happen what do you do i think the only thing i really noticed is like sometimes i'll put my my phone on my left hand uh-huh. and i like but i'm just so used to doing that that i'm like am i hiding it or am i just balancing just it balancing it that's yeah. the way it is and i'm like i just always catch myself but i don't have any of those moments where i think less of myself because of my arm you know like that's wow i fully accepted like who i am and who i am is not what i have or don't have it's just who i am you know so really the bodybuilding of the brain muscle the right the the working out and building the habit building that knowing it's not going to be overnight but the same way you built the habit of bullying yourself, you had to build the habit of embracing yourself and fully who you are and seeing you I, as a whole, whole, complete human being. I am, I am one to, I really enjoy like myself, a good contrarian moment. You know, I mm-hmm. love contrarian concepts. One of my favorites as of late is you've heard the concept comparison as the thief of joy. Yep for so long i almost got that tattooed on me i loved that concept and then i was like let's ask ourselves that question i said earlier is that true Mm. because if you compared yourself to people you're doing better than you would only feel better about yourself Mm. if anything comparison would give you joy the problem is it's not that comparison is the thief of joy. The way we compare is the thief of joy. It's not comparison because comparison is an inanimate thing. It's us. Yeah. We're using the hammer to break the window instead of build the house. So how are we to blame the hammer for being a thief? And we're putting a uh, meaning on that comparison that, tends to be negative, but you can, you're right. You can look at it and say, I want to compare myself to who I was 10 years ago or who I was. Exactly. Yeah. Like that I'm, I'm proud joy of that I got out of that. What's exactly. that? That wouldn't steal joy from you at all. No, it made me feel good. It made me like, okay, yeah. cool. Like I've grown this way, you know, compare myself to the graduating high school kid who had no clue what he's going to do and what I get to do now for a living. Right. That that's obviously a great thing and very happy about that and does bring me joy. 
Yeah. yeah. It's, and that's why I'm like so big on changing the lens you use to view life. Like it, it's not the comparison. That's the problem. It's not the negativity, the positivity. It's none of that. It's how you're using the tools. Mm. And for so long I was using the tools in a way that made my life harder. And it had me thinking, you know, for one of my talks on uh, change and bias and all this stuff, I have people use the 3d glasses, the old school, like blue and red, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. if you wear them long enough, you kind of get used to them. Even sure. sunglasses, it's darker. You used to it. You take off your sunglasses like, ah, oh, it's bright. The lens you view life becomes normal, mm -hmm. but it's not true. It's not true. Your truth is not the truth. And understanding that I had to take a lens off to see what really was so that I could build a better lens that would put me in a position to win. Well, you know? even in your questioning earlier, of is it true? You know, my, my, my mentioning of gravity, there are very few fundamental things in life that are actually true, yeah. like gravity, right? Yeah. Oh, um, mass, you know, whatever. Then everything else is our own spin, our own take, our own conditioning on yeah. it. And therefore it can also shift and change. And it is, it's, um, I don't know if sad is the right word. It's disheartening in some ways when you do run into people who just, are so stuck in the belief that no, this is who I am and I can't change and change doesn't happen. Or that happens for those people over there. Not me. That's um, part of what I help people with because I truly believe stuck is a combination of two things, fear and uncertainty or lack mm -hmm. of clarity, mm -hmm. the fear of what to do. They're just, it, it's the unknown. Cause if you got more clear and you had a little bit more certainty, it'd be great. I can't give you certainty that your business is going to work. But what I can give you certainty is if you do all of the things to solve all of the problems that come your way, which to date, the thing you thought you never were going to get through, you've gotten through. Yeah. The thing you thought that was going to kill you, you've conquered in some yep. way, shape or form. Good, bad, ugly, pretty. You've yep. gotten through it. And if you haven't and you're dead, you don't have any more bills. So honestly, you're fine. At the end of the day, you've gotten through the worst of the worst, even when you thought you weren't. You've mm -hmm. proved yourself time and time again that you can so why are you sitting here trying to prove to yourself that you can't? Yeah. You're actively lying, keeping yourself stuck. And by stuck, I mean, you're keeping yourself in fear and you're keeping yourself in the dark. Yeah. The lights on, take the step one step at a time. That's, that's it. The compound effect of small, small, small steps equal like bigger steps. And then that in a year, five years from now will pay off. And it's the impatience that destroys that. It's the, but I want it now, or if I can't see it right now or next week or next year, I and I can totally relate to this with like the bodybuilding, you know, type thing. I'm not, I don't know if you can't tell, but I'm not a bodybuilder. Uh, but, uh, but I look at that going like, man, what took you to get that far in the distance? Um, there's so much work, but also mindset mess that you have to get through the weeds of your belief system. And I love that you put it into perspective with the, okay, but what if it was just today? That's it. Because if I told you today, you just had to eat some chicken and go to the gym for 30 minutes and now right. you could be a world-class bodybuilder. You'd be like, no way. Yeah. Yeah. You could. And yeah. that's just today and tomorrow. And it's one day at a time. But what we do, we do it with business all the time. I've done it with podcasts. I'm like, I want to have a podcast, oh, but then the equipment and then like the guests and I'm like, how am I going to do it? Where am I going to set it? I'm like, you spiral and you create a mess. Oh, totally. You create such a mess for yourself that you can't take action. And it almost validates why you're not doing anything. Totally. No, I, I mean, 
it's funny, even during this conversation, I was sitting there going like, yeah, I am on a, I'm on a health thing right now. And I've been doing some stuff and I'm already though projecting out to next uh, in December. So a little over 35, 40 days from now, I'm going to Peru for 10 days. I'm like, ah, I can't do all the stuff I'm supposed to be doing in 10 days. So maybe I'll just wait to really be committed until after I get back, because that's going to be an obstacle there. Flat tire, flat tire, set the car on fire. Right, right. Yeah, totally. Flat tire, set the car on fire. And I just go buy another car. Let's just set the car on fire. I'll get another car after that. Yeah, no, it totally works in the head and creating those. Because you could fully have a flat tire and still go really slow. Yeah. Yeah. But because we don't want to go slow, we'd rather come to a screeching halt and go backwards and, and burn, burn, and burn, <laughs> and burn. And that's the problem is like, how do we stop those? I think because of our society and like where we're at, we are so adamant about small progress is embarrassing. So don't make any at all. Mm. And I hate that. I hate that philosophy because like, I believe in participation trophies. Let me, let me set that. I don't believe in participation trophies, but I do believe in celebrating little decisions that lead to bigger wins. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't believe in participation trophies, but I do believe in celebrating the small steps that lead to the big wins. And I think there's a difference. You don't celebrate that you lost, you know, but you, you do celebrate things appropriately. Like if I had five things to get done today and I got them all done, I'm like, good job, man. You, you killed that. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's little, but it's, it's appropriate versus like, I only celebrate the marathon wins. Like that sucks, man. Like you're going to have what 20 celebrations in your entire life. And that's it because nothing is enough. Yeah. Because society has said you need more and more and more. No, screw that, man. Like I'm gonna celebrate anything I want because I'm in the process of earning more, but I'm still happy where I'm at now. And it's so funny that you mentioned that, like the, even thinking society says you need X. I found that for most people, society hasn't even told them that it's what they perceive society telling them to do, or they perceive or what they would put on other people they're putting on themselves. And it's like, that doesn't like, why are you putting that on yourself? It's storytelling. It's we see what's put out. We see what's put out on social media or whatever. Yeah. And we think that it's nice. And because we think it's nice, we think we should have that. And then we tell ourselves like, if we don't have that, we suck. Yeah. Totally. It's literally the, the compound effect of storytelling. It just, it, things grow in the direction that you allow them to. And I just started to change the course a little bit more. Wow. Dude, Chris, this is like crazy good stuff. I know everybody listening has got to have some great notes going on uh, with what they're listening to because your story is inspirational, your outcome and what you're continually doing for people and helping them. And you said you help uh, companies and I know we know your keynote speech and gotten keynote speech for com- com- uh, companies, but what is really the main focus of your business? What are you trying to accomplish for your clients? Man, I'm like super happy with where I'm at right now. And I just, I added a component to help speakers. Cause that's like my last and final goal is to coach speakers, not only on the storytelling art and science, but more so on the speaking business. No mm. one taught me how to make money as a speaker. Mm. I didn't even know that was like a career path. And I kind of stumbled into it. And I spent a lot of years trying to figure out how do you even get paid, let alone how do you make 15, 20, $30,000 for a keynote. Once I figured that out, I was like, no one taught me this stuff. You know, I've had some mentors, but I've had to learn a lot through the cracks. I want to be that voice for people because then I want to create leaders in spaces that I can't penetrate in communities that I'm not a part of to create, whether you call it thought leadership or like impact 
inside communities because i know i can only i can only attack certain communities you know some have to happen from the inside so i want to create other leaders like myself in different spaces Mm. because i think we need more of that so ultimately i'm doing exactly what i want to do just got a big book deal and like lots of stuff is cool it's coming but man i'm just happy that i'm doing exactly what i want to do and i just want to keep doing more of it that's amazing well I'm happy that you decided to spend some time with us and share your light and wisdom with the people that are listening to the show, because it really is inspirational to see. And, and I don't even, when I say inspirational, it's not even about the so-called disability you said you were born with. It's about your mindset and what you, that's, that's the secondary thing. It's about you being able to have that mindset, helping people understand and overcome, which is so powerful. I appreciate that. Uh, how do people reach out to you? Just Chris Rudin, all platforms from LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, and my website is just chrisrudin.com. So I'm always open for a conversation, whether you're a speaker and you want to ask more questions about that, or you want to speak, or you're an organization that likes having someone speak about overcoming adversity or change management. I'm here. It's R-U-D-E-N for everybody yes. listening on the show. So Chris, we always end the show with four questions we ask everyone and they're kind of top of the mind, rapid fire questions built around owning your role. Would you be willing to play? Of course. Let's go. Awesome. So what is the highest and greatest responsibility you have on this earth? My greatest responsibility is to be the person I never had growing up. Mm. Point blank period, every single day, every single moment. Uh, I like to ask people, when did you decide to become a role model? Most people say they didn't. And I said, whether you want to or not, you are. Mm-hmm. So live accordingly. And that's that's me. Wow. That's great. What do you want as your ultimate outcome for your life? To be satisfied that I put the effort that I should have put in the first place. I want to look back knowing I did what I could have. Mm. That's it. Because effort is the one thing you can always control. I can't control other circumstances, but you can always control putting a hundred percent effort, even on your worst days, a hundred percent might look different as a hundred percent on your best day, but 99% to me is unacceptable. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Um, when it comes to, tr- to leadership, what do you consider true leadership to look like? Leaders listen. The Mm -hmm. leaders of tomorrow listen to the needs of their employees, to the needs of their community, their current market and their future market. They listen. They don't pretend like they know everything. They have humility. And uh, yeah, I I truly think the best leaders listen. That's great. So lastly, there will be a day that all of us will face, which will be our last day on this planet. Mm, None of us know when that is. Hopefully it's a very long time from now. But between now and and dead, what experience do you hope to have or want to have before you pass on? I think there's personal and professional experiences. So from a professional experience, I hope to one day have an event where I see people who weren't really the best speakers or they were okay. And by working with me, my team, my company, they're able to effect change in the communities that is most passionate to them. Mm-hmm. So I want to see a speaker become the best version of themselves and affect true change, something that's they're passionate about. I think I'm at the point in my life where other people's passions becoming a reality is the best gift I could ever get from someone. Mm-hmm. 
in terms of personal, I just want to, I want to eat food around the world, man. That's, that's all I want to do. I love, I love going to different countries and trying food and I want to do some crazy stuff in crazy countries. And I'm doing that now and I'm going to continue to do that. But, uh, I think I'm one of the few entrepreneurs that I know of. And if there's more listening, please reach out to me because I want to connect with you guys. Um, and girls happy where you are not needing so much more that you're just like so money hungry and driven. Don't get me wrong. Like get income to have freedom, but enjoy the now too. So I need more entrepreneurs who enjoy the now. And that's what I'd like more of is that kind of community. Love that. Love that. Well, thank you for being part of our community today, Chris. It really was uh, a pleasure to get to talk with you, a real life Titan. Like we don't get to see that very often or talk that very often. And, and what, what I appreciate too about this conversation is, you know, as I'm going through questions in my head about what to ask you and where to go, I think it, it, for me, it would have been easy to like, Oh, tell me about your whole Titan experience. Yeah. But just like the rest of everything you talked about, it's, it's a part of what you experienced that got you to here, but it's not the reason you're here where you are. There's a reason why, you know, The Rock saw you and said, oh, let's come and have you try out for the show. There's a reason why you inspired so many people on the show. But there's also the reason that goes beyond that, which is why you inspire people throughout your entire life and every single day. So thank you for sharing that with us. I really appreciate it. I appreciate that. Thank you for doing what you do, because people need this platform to understand, like, it's not the businesses and the money that's going to stop you. It's the mindset that you have and the the mental roadblocks that not only we create, but we reinforce. So if we can reinforce them, we can break them down. And people hearing this who are listening with open ears will get a lot from this. Holy, absolutely. Everyone, I hope you really enjoyed and took so much out of Chris's conversation today. Please go visit him at chrisrudin.com. Reach out to him. Uh, even if you're not an aspiring speaker, and if you are, but if you're not, just find out how you can utilize his knowledge and information to help you and help you your business grow. And if you have a speaking opportunity, for sure, please reach out to him as well. Again, everybody, thank you for joining us on the Own Your World podcast. And remember that we're always here to help inspire you with inspirational, unique employee uh, employees, uh, entrepreneurs. So everybody have an amazing day. We'll see you on the next episode. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Own Your Role podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you're alerted for every new episode we release. And don't forget to write us a review and let us know how we're doing. You can also follow me on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, all the social medias. Just search at Dino Watt. And if you'd like me to come and help your team or audience learn to own their role in person, make sure you go to DinoWatt.com for more details. I'll see you on the next episode.